I want to begin with a story tonight. I stole this story from a well-known author in the States. In fact, I think I stole Keith's book. I think it's your book, Keith. Um, I feel bad about not returning it, but I really have no intention of returning it. However, I'm going to buy you a new one when I go back to the States, if that would please you. <laughs> the story is uh, about Jack and Grace. Uh, they met through a mutual friend, um, and they seemed to be a perfect match. Grace was everything that Jack was looking for, and Grace was always there uh, for him. First five months, they, they were inseparable. Jack told his friends that he didn't need to look any further, that he had found the one. Several years later, Jack enjoys the comfort and familiarity of Grace, but the spark is gone. Grace's flaws seem more obvious, and he's beginning to resent all the time that she uh, expects to spend with him. One night, Grace asked if they could better define the relationship, and Jack blew up. He blew up. He said, isn't it enough that we're together? Isn't that enough for you? Obviously, Jack's Jack isn't ready for a commitment, and it's unclear if he ever will be as far as grace is concerned. So have you ever been in a relationship like this? You know, God has designed certain relationships to be defined by passion and to be defined by commitment. That is God's design for Jack and for grace. A relationship of mutual commitment, wholehearted commitment to one another. In his relationship to grace, Jack is non-committal. He is me-centered. He is independent. He has kind of a consumer mentality. I will uh, be with grace as long as she meets my needs. He's a consumer. He's consuming what grace has to offer. It's like Jack is only using grace, right? Some of you have been in relationships like this. She's, he's only using grace. So what do you think about Jack? What do you think about how he's treating grace? Any particular words come to mind? <laughs> how he's treating her? Oh, there's something you need to know. There's something you need to know about this relationship. Grace isn't a woman. Grace is a church. Grace is the church that Jack attends that Jack will not commit to. He's merely dating the church. He's not committed to the church. He's only dating the church. This is the name of the book that Joshua Harris wrote several years ago entitled, Stop Dating the Church. It's an exhortation for Christians to be Christians. And quit shopping around for the perfect church. Hey, there's not one because you're in it. There's not one because I'm in it, right? Make a commitment to the local church. It was never God's intent for us to be lone rangers. We're to be committed and sold out to the local church. And this is the point of the book. Harris writes this. Joshua Harris says, The strongest argument I know for why you and I should love the, and care about the church is that why. Oh, Jesus does, right? Jesus does. Jesus died for her. The greatest motivation we could ever find 
I'm still quoting Harris, for being passionately committed to the church is that Jesus is passionately committed to the church. So I want to stop and ask you right here, are you like Jack? Are you like Jack? Are you just using grace? Or are you giving yourself to grace? This is God's intent. Are you merely dating the body of Christ or have you committed to the body of Christ? Are you giving yourself in love and service to the body of Christ? Or are you merely a consumer of what the body of Christ can provide for you? Are you using your gifts and your skills and your talents in the body of Christ? Are you giving to the body of Christ? Are you honoring God in your finances and through your money? In the body of Christ, I've said several times from this pulpit over the last eight years, and let me just interject all those questions I just asked you. The Fergusons have done. The Fergusons have poured their self into this church. They committed to this local church. They've done all those things. You know, I've said many times from this pulpit that ICM will never cease to exist because God's unfaithful, but ICM could cease to exist if we are unfaithful. You know, every new wave of internationals that come in, you guys last about two years and then you're out of here, every new wave has to stand up. Every new wave has to commit to the church. Every new wave has to use their gifts in the church. Every new wave has to bring their tithes and offerings to the church. This church can't exist if God's people are not obedient in that way. The church exists right now because of all the people that have gone before you, beloved. That's why this church is here. It's because all the people who have gone before you, God used them to establish this church. And now that you're here, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to commit to this church. Jesus Christ hasn't asked you out on a date. The Bible says you are His bride. This is not an issue of dating. This is an issue of marriage. This is the metaphor that we find in the New Testament. A superficial read of the Bible will reveal one thing. God is radically committed to His people. Amen? <laughs> to the point of death, God is radically committed to His people. As I challenge you quite often, are you committed to Him? Are you willing to give yourself away to Him even as He has given Himself away to you? Beloved, this is Christianity. This is Christianity. This love affair with Christ. You can throw all the denominations and dogma. You can, you can throw all the the popes, and you can throw it all out the window. This is Christianity. Do you love Him? Are you in relationship with Him? Are you obeying Him? Are you giving yourself away to His body? Are you serving the body? Are you loving the body? Beloved, this is biblical Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. The Lord is wholly committed to His people. Oh, guess what? He's called us to be wholly committed to His people as well. You know John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How are we supposed to love one another? Someone tell me. As Jesus has loved us. Are you, beloved? Are you? And you remember the great verse from 1 John three sixteen. John writes, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
He's not principally talking about martyrdom there. That might happen in some corners of the world. He's principally saying, you're called to lay your life down in the way you love and serve the body. Lay your life down in love. Lay your life down in service. Be an open channel of the blessing of God. That's what John's talking about. You know, A lot of people read that verse, they go, I'm off the hook. I'm not going to be martyred for the church. Most of you probably won't be. God's calling you to live your life and be poured out in service and in love to the body of Christ. I like how Joshua Harris says it. He says, this is not optional. (laughs) If we're going to be real Christians, if we're going to be biblical Christians, I'm not talking about religion that masquerades as Christianity. That's not what I'm talking about. Pseudo-Christian religion. I'm not talking about that. Both Catholic and Protestant. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about biblical Christianity. I'm talking about doing the Word of God. I'm talking about doing what God's called us to do. (laughs) Joshua Harris says it's not optional. Beloved, it's not optional. I've been in ministry for a long time. Many people who call themselves Christians, they seem to think it's an option. They seem to think, I can live any way I want. I can treat the church any way I want. I can take or leave the church. Beloved, that's not biblical Christianity. That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is is anything but being nominal. (laughs) It's anything than being it's anything other than being lukewarm or noncommittal. In fact, that that you know, a noncommitted Christian is an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is, right? It's a nonsensical statement. It's a nonsensical statement. To say someone's a nominal Christian, to say someone is a lukewarm Christian, an uncommitted Christian, you're basically saying they're simply not a biblical Christian. That is an oxymoron. The word Christian came into being in the early church because men and women followed Jesus. (laughs) They followed Jesus. They loved Him. They followed Him. And there was no such thing in the early church as an uncommitted Christian. You know why? Particularly in the Jewish community. You know why? It cost them everything. They were kicked out of the synagogue and most of their families would ostracize them. It cost them everything to go with Christ. It was nonsensical to say an uncommitted Christian in the early church. There was no such thing. Beloved, we have fallen far away, I think, in many places from the biblical standard. So I want to just go through quickly tonight. We'll go through uh, this text that you heard read earlier. Romans chapter 12. We have to back up though. We have to back up just a little bit to get our bearings. We started here at Romans chapter 12. I'm just going to back up to Romans 11.33. Paul writes 11 chapters of the most breathtaking theology in all of Scripture. In verse 33 of Romans 11, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how unfathomable are His ways! Paul is caught up in doxology. He's caught up in worship. He writes, again, these beautiful 11 chapters. Weighty, awesome theology. And he marvels at how God has saved His people. It's an awesome thing. And Paul just breaks out into worship. Beloved, this has to be our fuel. 
It has to be our fuel if we're ever going to love and serve the body of Christ. You have to first be in love with Jesus. I can remember my missions professor when I was in seminary. He was a, f- a former missionary in Brazil. And he'd gone down there for several years and worked. He'd burned out and come home. Now he was in seminary. Pr- principally teaching us how not to burn out. <laughs> he said, hey, I had it all wrong. I went down there and I was saying, I love the Brazilians. I love the Brazilians. He said, after a while, I didn't love any of them. He said, what I had wrong was I have to love God first. Preeminently, I have to love. There has to be this dynamism in in my relationship with God. I have to be sold out in love with Him, or I can't really love anybody the way I should. And this is what we see here. The first thing, yeah, it's 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 not an accident that there's these three or four verses here of worship that precede chapter twelve, verse one. God was Paul's fuel, and God must be your fuel. If you're going to be a sold-out Christian, God has to be your fuel. God has to be your fuel. So I just want to make sure we understand. God must be our fuel. Verse 1, chapter 12. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourself, uh, your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. How does the King James, I love how the King James says it. It says, this is your reasonable response. Is it not? If the eternal, infinite I am God, Creator God, has become a man and been nailed to a tree, what is the reasonable response to that? If we believe that, and we are saved by His finished work on the cross, what is the reasonable response? Oh, church attendance? I don't think so. Church attendance is good. You need to come to church. We're commanded to, to, to gather together. That's a good thing. But it can't be the sum and substance of your Christianity. Right? It can't be the sum and substance of your Christianity. What is the reasonable response? What does God say? Present yourself a living and holy sacrifice. This is your reasonable response to who I am and what I've done. This is what the Lord is saying. You know how Jesus feels, and I, I don't know, it comes up in my preaching a lot. You know how Jesus feels about lukewarm Christianity? Someone tell me how he feels about it. He doesn't like it at all. He doesn't like it at all. It's an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron to say you're a Christian and you don't have a passionate love for Jesus. It's an oxymoron to say you're a Christian and you're not pouring yourself out in the church. I like how MacArthur, John MacArthur talks about verse 1 here. He says, This call to give ourselves away in worship, it's not some mystical, falsely pious, monastic, monkish kind of thing. He says it's tremendously pragmatic. This is what I want you to hear. Tremendously pragmatic. This would be Sam and Susan Ferguson. Tremendously pragmatic. Okay? They're not navel gazers. You're not supposed to be a navel gazer. You know? You're supposed to be at work in the church, pouring yourself out, loving the body, serving the body, using your gifts in the body. MacArthur goes on. It's, this call is pragmatic. It's a call to meaningful, effective, passionate, God-blessed ministry in the body. Sam and Susan Ferguson. I don't mean to embarrass you, but, you know, as a pastor, you know, you just, you just praise God when you get a couple like this. <laughs> you know, all you can do is praise the Lord. Because they make the church work. 
You have to make the church work. The pastor can't make the church work. You have to do it. You have to do it. 12.1, Romans 12.1, it's not a burden that we live up to. It is our privilege. It is our privilege to be poured out for this awesome God who has poured Himself out for us. And what do we find when we pour ourselves out? You know the, the many paradoxes of Christianity. I love these paradoxes, don't you? I love these spiritual paradoxes. The giver what? Someone tell me. The giver receives. Are you giving? If you do, you receive. The one who's poured out is what? Someone tell me. Oh, he's filled. The one who's poured out in the church, he's filled. The one who surrenders fully overcomes. It's the surrendered man and woman that gets the victory. The humble one will be what? Oh, he'll be exalted when he stands before the King of Kings. The one who forgives is what? Forgiven. The one who dies to self lives to God. Made me think, made me think when I thought about these paradoxes, it made me think of, of Eric uh, Little. You remember the great Olympian from England. And uh, uh, you remember what he said? He said, God, God made me to run. He said, and when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. Beloved, if you don't feel the pleasure of God, I want to say to you, you're not, you haven't committed yourself to the local church and you're not using your gifts in the local church. You're not pouring yourself out for the local church. And through the local church, ministering to everyone else. Ministering to everyone. I love it. When I run, I feel the pleasure of God. Beloved, this is, this is how it should be in the church. I have to tell you, when I preach, I feel the pleasure of God. I do. I do. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. How are we supposed to live this kind of life? How, we, how can we really do this? How can we be empowered to do this? Look what it says. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, uh, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The point here, obviously, let me ask you, how do, how do, we, how do we have our minds transformed? How does that happen in the body of Christ? How does that happen? Someone tell me. I'll give you a hint. How does that happen? Could it be? Yes, it could be. We need to be students of the Word of God. We need to be students of the Word of God. Again, Sam and Susan Ferguson. Teachers and students of the Word of God. We, we need to be, submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and be changed by the power of the Word as He, as he opens up our hearts and explains it to us and shows us who we, who we really are, who we're supposed to be. In Christ. If you're still thinking like the world, you cannot, be, uh, you, you cannot pour yourself out in the body of Christ. If you're still thinking like the world, if you process information like the world has trained you to process information, you, you can't be an effective Christian in the body of Christ. You have to be eating this. This has to be your diet right here. You have to know this. You have to know this to be the kind of Christian that God has called us to be. Look at verse 3. For, though, uh, for, for through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each, each one a measure of faith. God calls us to radical humility. 
<laughs> you know, this is, why, this is why loving and serving the body breaks down a lot in many, many places. Because there's a lack of humility. God says you've got to be humble. He says, first you've got to be in awe of me. You've got to give yourself to the study of the Word. And then you've got to humble yourself. And love each other. And serve each other. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. <laughs> this is the way God says it. This is the way He says that true humility comes from an encounter with the living God. It's what Paul was doing in, in, in Romans 11.33. True humility comes from a real encounter uh, of the Spirit of God as we are studying the Word, as we're in the Word. So really, verse 3 is simply the fruit of the foregoing verses. If we're encountering God, if we're in the Word, humility will be coming to us. 1 Peter 5.5 5, Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. God calls you and He calls me to be spring-loaded in all humility to love and serve the body. Listen to all these. Listen to these things I want you to hear. The one another commands. Listen to these. This is just a few of them. The one another commands. And the Fergusons are... This is the, 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 the legacy of the Fergusons in this place. The one another commands. Love one another. Hey, if you want the verses, come ask me. I'll give them to you later. Love one another in John. Be devoted to one another in Romans. Honor one another, Romans. Rejoice with one another, Romans. Serve one another, Galatians. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians. Forgive one another, Ephesians. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians. Be hospitable to one another, 1 Peter. Be tender-hearted to one another, Ephesians. Confess to one another, James. Pray for one another, James. Beloved. Are you at work in the body? Are you keeping the one another commands? Are you keeping the one another commands? Are you loving and serving the brethren in the body of Christ? So God says all this stuff. And look, then, then look what He says next. Uh, he makes that, that analogy. Verses 4 and 5. He says, You're supposed to be My body. You're in awe of Me. You worship Me. You're in my word. You're learning humility. You've looked at my son. You've seen the, the infinite condescension of my son. You see how he emptied himself. He's the model. You're learning humility. And then he says, you're my body. You have to have all these things. It's, it's just like this beautiful, this, this beautiful uh, flow here. You have, to, you, have to, you have to go through these three or four things and then God says, you're my body. You're my body. I love the analogy. The, in the Old Testament, there's... No equivalent to the body. In the Old Testament, uh, the, God's people are uh, compared to the bride, the vineyard, and the flock. There's nothing like this in the Old Testament. This is brand new. Christ's people are to be His body. Christ's people are to be His body. You say, so what, Jim? Nothing like this exists in the Old Testament. So this. You ha uh, our unique position is in Christ. We are one in Jesus. We are one in Jesus and our function, and we are to function as one in Jesus. This is the beauty of the body metaphor. This is the beauty of the body metaphor. I'm going to turn real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm just going to read to you from verses 12, to 13, uh, 12 and 14. Listen to this. Now I want you to listen. I want you to tell me which word you hear six times. Okay? So it's a very easy test. You'll do well. Six times. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, although they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. 
For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. We are all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. What word did you hear six times? Pardon me? One. 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 You know, I love, I love ICM. I love International Church. Because people from all over the world, we come and we become one. For however long you're here, for however long you're here, we become one. And this is a great testimony to the, to the world. The world doesn't understand this, right? The world doesn't get this. But we become one in Christ. We become one in Christ. I love our church. I love that it's diverse. I love it. I, I, I don't know if I could ever, could ever go to a church that wasn't international because I just love meeting people from all over the world. I love talking about Jesus with people from all over the world. I love growing together with people from all over the world, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free or American or Italian, Nigerian, Moldovian, Brazilian, Filipino. We are all one in Christ. We are all one in Christ, beloved. It's an awesome, awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. And we are to function we are to function as one body, each member doing its God-ordained job in the body. You have a function in this body. Are you doing it? Or are you merely consuming the goods and services of International Church of Milan? Or are you giving yourself to the people and the body of Christ here the human body is extremely complex. Individual cells, genes, muscles, cartilage, bones, organs, etc., etc., etc. But there's this interrelatedness, this interdependency. I need you to do your job in this church, whatever that is. And you need me to do my job in this church. Beloved, we need one another. This is how God designed it. We're one body. We're all supposed to be working together. Jesus is the head of the body. Let me turn again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm just going to read quickly verse 15 and following. Listen to this. And I'm going to skip around just a little bit. If the foot, say, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, uh, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body as He desired. You know, this is one thing that Karen and I know as a pastor of an international church. God, God brings the people he, he, he wants in this church to do what they're supposed to do. God's brought you here to do a thing at ICM. I tell you all the time, you're not principally here to work. You're not principally here to study. You're principally here to serve God in the local church. And to make Jesus famous in Milano. That's why you're here, principally. You have some secondary uh, responsibilities, I understand that. But principally, if you call yourself a Christian, you're here on Jesus' business. <laughs> it's the business of God. Verse 20, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, But now there are many members, but one body. Verse 22, On the contrary, it is much true that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Look at verse 24. God has so composed the body, given more abundant honor to that member which lacked it. Verse 26. And if one member suffers, all members suffers with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individual members 
of it. God has sovereignly placed you here. And beloved, He expects you to use your gift here. <laughs> like the Fergusons. Five and a half years. And you know what? He's going to change you here too. You'll go out that door for the last time stronger than when you came in. Or at least you should. Because the Christian never stops growing. The Christian never stops changing. Jesus is always moving. If you sit down, you're not following Him anymore because He's gone. You can't, you can't sit down with Jesus. He's gone. He's always moving. He's always moving. And if you sit down, you're not with Him anymore. He's always taking us to a deeper place. John MacArthur again. Listen to what he says. A Christian who does not have a ministry in the body is a contradiction. He is disobedient. He is denying God the right to use Him in the way God intends. When we refuse to follow God's will in this, we deny His authority, His Lordship, His wisdom, and His goodness. As members of Christ's body, we are not to do our own thing, but the Lord's. The arm, uh, the arm does not have, have one will and the foot another and the eye still another. Each is controlled by the head. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, Ephesians 5.23, Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the church. Beloved, are you hearing Him and are you obeying Him? You can know by how you're relating to the local church. God, Jesus has never called a Lone Ranger Christian. No such thing. No such thing. He's called His people to the body. To be a part of the body. Oh, He's the head. He's the head. All you have to do is read your Bible. This is the way God has designed it. These are not my words. These are the words of God. I'm going to go back to Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 6 through 8. I won't read it. You heard it read, but God says, There's a bunch of gifts. I'm giving out gifts to each member. Look at verse 6. And they are to exercise them accordingly. Are you using your gift in the church? God says, I've gifted my people. Everybody's got a function, everybody has a function. God says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, listen to what He says, Now there are a variety of gifts, a variety of ministries, a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That's what these gifts are for. Are you doing it, beloved? I can give testimony that the Fergusons were faithful for five and a half years. They were faithful to minister to the body. If you're a Christian tonight, God is calling you to use your gift for the common good of the body. God is calling you to help equip the rest of the body. God is calling you to use your gift to build up the International Church of Milan. You're not to simply be a consumer. You're to be at work in this church. You're to be at work in the body of Christ. That's why every time God speaks about gifts, He's always, every time He talks about gifts in the New Testament, real close by is this body metaphor. It's always real close. Because if you're the eye and I'm the ear, 
Someone's a little. I mean, we all need each other. We all need each other to function properly in the way that the Lord has designed it. I love how John Piper says what he says about gifts. Listen to what he says. He says, "Don't get all lathered up in trying to label and define your gift. Get lathered up in loving." and serving the body. You know, sometimes people say to me, well, Jim, I don't know what my gift is. Like, this is kind of a cop-out. I don't know what my gift is. You know how you find out what your gift is? You go to work. You just roll up your sleeves and go to work. That's how you find out. As you, as you begin to volunteer to do things, and as you begin to do ministry in the church, you find out what your gift is. When you, when you, you know how I found out I was a preacher? Some of you have heard me say this before. The regular preacher was out. Someone said, Jim, will you preach? I said, yeah. And that night, God called me. He called me that night. While I was preaching to the 300 men out there, God was saying, this is what you're supposed to do, Jim. It's in the back of my head. He's saying, this is who you are. This is why I made you. This is, in eternity past, I created you to do this. You find it when you go to work. You find your gift when you give yourself. That's when you find your gift. If you don't know what it is, just start giving yourself. And you will quickly run into your gift. Paul says, just do it. Just do it. Don't worry about putting a label on your gift. Just go to work. Just give yourself to the church. Give yourself to the body of Christ. This is the Word of God. Loving and serving the church, it's always practical. It's always pragmatic. It's always useful. It's always helpful. It's always concrete. It can, it can be seen. It can be felt. It can be heard. It can be uh, tasted. It can be smelled. It can be touched. It's blood, sweat, and tears in the body of Christ. James said, pure and undefiled Christianity in the sight of God is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. In other words, do the Word. In other words, do the Word. Minister, love, serve, visit, give, pray, meet needs, etc., 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 etc. Come down here and sweep the church. I don't know. Whatever. Do something. Give yourself, give, you, give yourself to the body of Christ. Give yourself to the body of Christ. <laughs> I love, uh, yeah, 1 John 3.18. Real Christians love one another not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, every once in a while I, I challenge, when I'm preaching, I'll challenge the flock to say, hey, just do a random act of kindness in the body this week. Just some, just, yeah, random act of kindness this week. Mark that down. Do that this week. Some random act of kindness or service or love for someone in the body of Christ. John Piper says, Christians devote their lives to being changed. We don't throw away our spiritual birthright by coasting. So let me ask you, are you, are you a coasting Christian? Or are you hot on the heels of... Jesus. Look at verses 9 and 10 and we'll be through. Chapter 12 of Romans. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in 
honor. I love this verse here. If you look at the original language, you look at the Greek, the little translation of the Greek here about the love is, is to love unfeigned. To love fervently. One translator, listen, listen to this, you're going to love this. This is way, how he says it. Be lovingly loving with loving love. <laughs> That's how God's called you to love the body. I'll, I'll say it again, I love it. Be lovingly loving with loving love. It's self-forgetting love. It's expensive love. It's costly love. It's I love Jesus love. And because I love Jesus, I love His church. And because I love Jesus, I give myself to His church. I'm not going to play religion anymore like the vast majority of people who claim to be Christians. I'm not going to do that anymore. That does not honor God. I pour myself out for Him even as He had unbelievably poured Himself out for me. I've said it many times, that's the kind of love we have to have in, at ICM, right? <laughs> you have to have that in an international church. If people don't love each other, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. You just got people showing up. You know? I've said it a million times. You know, churches are a lot easier back in the States. It's probably a lot easier where you're from, wherever your home country is. You just go, you know, you know back in the States, there's a church on every corner where I'm from. And so you can find a church, people just like you. They look like you. They dress like you. They think like you. They talk like you. They smell like you. Everything's the same. You know, you can, you can find a church that has the, 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 the color of carpet that you like. You can find the church that everybody believes exactly the same down to the finest point of doctrine. You can find it. You can just huddle up with them. And you never have any challenges in that kind of church. It's so easy. Everybody thinks the same. It's not like that here. Man, we have to really love each other here. Or we'll just implode if we don't proactively love each other. Beloved, that's the kind of love that God is calling us to. We've had 67 nations through this church in eight years. Every conceivable denomination, some I'm convinced people have made up, I've never heard of. <laughs> and God has called us to be one. <laughs> one. Isn't it a beautiful thing? I love it. I love it when I see it. I love it when I see it in your lives. I love it. Listen to Colossians 3, 11-14. We'll be done. God says there's no distinction between the Greek and the Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all in all. And so, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, here you go, here's your job. You've been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a... Heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Beloved, this is what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. So as I say goodbye to... My dear brother and sister Sam and Susan Ferguson, I acknowledge that they have loved this church in this way. They have loved. I am witness to how they have sacrificially loved and served this body. And I am exhorting you to do the same thing. I am exhorting you to do the same thing. If you're still dating the church, stop. Commit to the church. God says you're the bride of Christ. This is, we're not dating here. 
You are to be the bride of Christ. This is the biblical metaphor. Love Him. Serve Him. Give to Him. Honor Him as you do all those things in this church. And you know what King Jesus will say to the bride on the last day? King Jesus will say, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of Mine, even the least of them, you did it to Me. Amen? Love and serve the body, beloved. Love and serve the body. That's your call as a Christian. That's your call as a Christian. And you will hear King Jesus say these awesome words, these awesome words on the last day. Jesus says, if you do so little as give a cup of water to someone, I remember it. You will not lose your reward. So someone bring me a cup of water as soon as this is over, okay? <laughs> I'm very parched. Let's pray together. Awesome God, we praise You. We thank You for this reminder. How faithful You are to remind us who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live. I thank You for Sam and Susan. How we love them. How You have been magnified here through their service, their love, their giving. How You have been honored in this place in how they have honored You. So Lord, we, we pray the richest blessing for them as they leave us. That You will go before them. That You will make their path straight. That You will do all Your sovereign good pleasure in them. And that, Lord, if it's, your, if it's Your gracious will, we will see them again on this side. But if not, if not, we will be in Your presence forever, praising our beautiful God. Thank You, Father. Thank You for this Word. Thank You for this beautiful metaphor, this body metaphor. Thank You for this marriage metaphor. Father, we can't really misunderstand what You're saying to us here. We can ignore it, but we really can't misunderstand it. You're calling us to be one. You're calling us to be committed. Oh God, that's the kind of Christians we want to be at the International Church of Milan. Have Your way with us, great God, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.